Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the College Age Movement podcast. We are in the third part of our series entitled Miracles. And what we've been doing is we've been walking through different miracles that Jesus performed while he was here on earth during his three years of ministry. And uh, I just want to recap a couple of the points that we covered the last two weeks before we jump into this week's story. So the first week, one of the points that we talked about was going and finding Jesus. So we talked about two separate individuals who were willing to go and find Jesus and bring him into their circumstance, and that we need to be people who are willing to do the same, that we would be willing to do whatever it takes to get close to Jesus. And then last week, we talked about finding community and finding people who can carry us when we are not strong enough to move towards Jesus, when we're not strong enough to move through life the way that God has asked us to do so. And at the same time, in our seasons of strength, being people who are willing to go and carry others towards Jesus when they are not strong themselves. And this week, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. And we're going to be talking through a story, it's just simply titled this, Jesus and the Ten Lepers. So Luke chapter 17, verse 11, and we're going to jump right in. It says this, it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, a lot of the translations would say the region in between Samaria and Galilee. And this might seem like a completely irrelevant verse, and one might think that Luke is just describing geography, but this is referencing something theological more than it is geographical. This was a region that would have had a ton of ethnic and religious tension. Jesus puts himself right in the middle of that. And see, there really wasn't a region. This, they, they, were, they bordered each other, and so he was right smack in the, in the middle of this border, in this region in between. So it's really important to understand the implications of what is being uh, what is taking place in this situation? What, what many uh, translations state as the region in between, it's important that we understand that Jesus operates in the in-between. So that's our first point is Jesus operates in the in-between. Every one of us have found ourselves in the in-between, the point between that job that we want, that job that we have, that point between the relationship that we want and the relationship that we have or don't have, or in the, in the, in the region in between of faith and doubt. That, that we are finding ourselves stuck in the middle of these seasons of life where we don't know if we have faith and, and we, we might have more doubt and maybe we have a little bit of faith, but there seems to be a lot of doubt. And we need to understand that Jesus operates in those things. We need to realize that God doesn't just work right in the middle of great faith. He absolutely will operate in the middle of great faith, but he will also operate in our doubt. If I'm being honest with my walk with Jesus over the last 30 years, I think that Jesus has moved more in, in the seasons where I've doubted that he's present than when I've had great faith. And that's not, not because I challenged whether or not he was real, but I think God has made himself evident in specific circumstances in my life where I've had doubts about where I'm supposed to be going or what's happening in my life or why aren't things working out the way that I want them to work out. And I love that, that God operates in those seasons of life, in those regions in between, that sometimes we aren't full of great faith. Maybe we just have a little bit of faith, but a whole lot of fear and a whole lot of, of doubt. And, and we're scared about what is going to happen in the near future. And Jesus operates in those seasons. And it's so important that we understand that. So as we continue to work through this story, as we continue to read through it, it's good to understand that every single person involved was at a different stage in their faith journey. And it's important that every single one of us is too. 
That there's not a single person who's at the exact same stage in their faith as someone else. That's what um, what's amazing about our relationship with Jesus is that every relationship is unique. There's no one relationship like another. And that means that all of us are at different stages of our faith. Some of us can, can be in, in stages where we're like, so hyped about what Jesus is doing, and we have this huge, miraculous faith in him, and we think that all of these things are going to happen. We have no doubt in our mind that Jesus is going to do incredible things. But then there's some of us who are just kind of stagnant, and we're, we're in the middle of the road when it comes to our faith, and some of us are full of doubt, and we, we don't really have any faith at all. And that's probably where each of these characters in this story were at, too. And so as we read this, let's recognize that and understand that Jesus works in each one of them Uh, in significant ways. So it goes on to say in verses 12 through 13, it says, As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. For most of us, leprosy means very little in today's culture. It was a skin disease that made anyone afflicted and outcast for the rest of their lives, lives, and it was incurable. And still to this day, if one is afflicted with leprosy, if it is a significant case of leprosy, it is incurable. It is a disease that has not been figured out to this point. And um, I, I remember reading scripture and trying to wrap my head around what leprosy was because we see it littered throughout scripture. And I don't think I fully understood it until I was in Ethiopia about 10 years ago. And um, we got the opportunity to go to a leper colony. And right outside of Addis Ababa, which is this giant city with millions of people in it, they have this colony where lepers go, and they make rugs, and they make clothing, and they make just art pieces, and it was just absolutely amazing. But you see these people afflicted with the skin disease, and they are losing extremities. They're, they're losing limbs. They, it, it's, it's hard to explain the tragedy of what it is. But it's also amazing because these people are doing incredible things. There was one guy who was there every year that I went, and he had six of his 20 fingers and toes. And uh, he, he, with his toes and fingers, was weaving these intricate rugs. And I was just so amazed at him. But I remember the first year that we went, I remember keeping myself at a distance because I was scared to contract this disease that is essentially just a hygiene disease. And one of, one of the guys who was leading our trip said, Evan, you don't have to worry about getting too close. Like, even if you were to touch them, you couldn't contract it because you, you bathe on a regular basis. So you don't have to worry about that. But I remember what it felt like as, as I looked at him. And even in, in what was like 2009, I, I was so worried. And I, and I, I pushed him to the fringes of, of my personal space. And so we have to understand the depravity that these men's were, men were in that 2,000 years ago, this, they were outcasts for life. This wasn't just a sickness that they had to get over. This was a sickness that had afflicted them. It was incurable, and they knew that for the rest of their lives, lives, barring a miracle, they were going to be outcasts in their society. So this is, this is why we can understand that these men had to stand at a distance, but it says this. It says they called out in a loud voice. And, and this just, just really resonated with me because I think sometimes we don't feel super close to Jesus. We're, we're at a distance from Jesus. But even in those times, we have to be willing to cry out to God. 
for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you've been in those places where you just feel like you can have this like intimate, personal conversation with Jesus and you don't have to speak up. It can be something internal. It can be a whisper. It could be something soft. But there are other times where we feel like we just have to yell at God. We have to scream and cry and plea for God to do something in our lives. But too often our pride gets in the way of our willingness to beg for a work of God. Our humanity our prideful nature prevents us from, from getting a little bit desperate for Jesus. And I don't know where you're at today, but one of the things that I want to encourage you in is get desperate for Jesus. Find yourself on your hands and knees in front of Jesus, screaming and pleading for him to help in your life. We need to be people who are so willing to get rid of our pride, so, so rid of, of what other people's perception of us may be, and just just be desperate for the one who created us. And then in verse 14, Jesus responds to these men. He says, it says, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. See, the next point is this, distance doesn't determine the miraculous. Distance doesn't determine the miraculous. Now, we're not talking about physical distance here. We're talking about spiritual distance, emotional distance, relational distance. It wasn't just the fact that these men were standing far away from God. It's also an indication of of the fact that we stand at a distance from Jesus now, that we always leave this buffer between us and our Savior. And this pushes us back into our first point, but it's important that as followers of Jesus, we understand this, that we won't be smack dab in the middle of faith and intimacy with Jesus every part of every day. We just won't be full of faith every part of every day. Like, I would love to say that I have Billy Graham, Mother Teresa type faith all the time, but I'm human. And, and there are days that I am filled with faith and so excited about my relationship with Jesus, Jesus. And there are other days where I'm not full of faith, where there's more doubt than there is faith. And, and you've probably been there too. And we cannot be people who carry around guilt because sometimes our faith isn't what it should be. We aren't called to carry around that guilt, that Jesus operates in our faith just as he operates in our doubt. We should find strength in understanding that Jesus will cross any distance to meet us. While we have talked about doing whatever it takes to get close to Jesus for the last two weeks, we should also understand that he will do whatever it takes to get close to us. That Jesus is a God who crosses any distance recklessly because he wants to be right in the middle of relationship with us. So sometimes we will have the strength to just run and pursue, and sometimes we won't, but we have to understand and have confidence in the fact that Jesus will pursue us as well. And in this verse, Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests. This was normal Levitical procedure. When you were cleansed from any sickness, you were supposed to go show yourself to the Levite priest so that they could determine if you could rejoin society. But here's the thing. When Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests, they weren't better yet. They still were stricken with leprosy. And see, Jesus was testing their obedience. He could have solved the problem in the moment, but he wanted to see what they would do when he called them to move. So that that brings us to our next point is this. It says, as they went. As they went. These three words are absolutely crucial, and we cannot miss the importance of them. 
Jesus doesn't just work in our lives when we arrive at our destination. Jesus works as we move towards what he has asked us to do. He shows up in unbelievable ways. And some of us have been called to do something and it seems too big to accomplish. We feel fear, we feel anxiety, and maybe we need to hear that God is just asking us to take some steps towards that calling. He's not asking us to arrive. He's asking us to move as they went. We must know that it isn't about hearing the voice of God. It's about obeying the voice of God. The blessing doesn't come when we, when we just hear what God wants us to do. He, he wants us to, to move and act and go. And so what he asked these 10 men to do is a, is a physical, practical thing that followed Levitical law. He just simply said, go show yourselves to the priests. Go. That word, go. We have to be willing to go. And we have to understand that we will never arrive, quote unquote, arrive on this side of heaven. We are human and fallible and fickle, but we can absolutely move towards who Jesus wants us to be and believe that as we go, Jesus will work in us. He will heal the broken parts. So we need to be people who are willing to move, people to under- that understand that as we go, Jesus will move on our behalf. There's a, there's a quote that many of us have heard before. It simply says this, no great thing is created suddenly. No great thing is created suddenly. Let us never forget that our God is a God of process. While he is perfect and he is the epitome of perfection, there is not an expectation of perfection on our part tomorrow or really ever because Jesus understands our humanity and he understands that we're imperfect. He's a God of process and he appreciates the process, but we need to be willing to appreciate the process too. It is such a temptation to get discouraged when God doesn't do what we want him to do in a moment or to get discouraged when we aren't the people we want to be in an instant. We just need to have the perspective that as we go, as we take small steps, Jesus starts to restore. As we take steps, Jesus starts to teach us. As we take steps, Jesus fixes the broken pieces. As they went. So let's be people who are willing to go. As we go, Jesus will work on our behalf. And then verses 15 through 16 say this. It says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus's feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. So the next point is this, come back, come back. When Jesus does something in our lives, we need to recognize it. I struggle with that so much, and maybe you do too. When Jesus does something in our lives, we need to recognize that Jesus is moving and working on our behalf. Because if we are willing to bring our problems, we better be willing to bring our praises. If we are willing to bring our problems to God, we better be willing to bring our praises to God. How frustrating is it to read this story and see that nine out of 10 didn't come back. Like for me, I read that and I'm like, what? Like you were healed from an incurable disease. Why didn't you all come running back to Jesus? 
But then as I think about it more, I think what is more frustrating is that if I was honest with myself, there have been way too many seasons that I forget to come back nine out of 10 times when Jesus does something on my behalf, when Jesus works in my life. Because Jesus has done thing after thing after thing on my behalf, and maybe I'm thankful for one, but if he does 10 things, there are those seasons where nine out of the 10 times, I don't even think about thanking him or praising him. We need to be people who are willing to throw ourselves at Jesus' feet and thank him every single time he does something, whether it's something big or something small. And see, the reason that those seasons have happened in my life is because I wasn't living out a lifestyle of thankfulness. And a lot of us struggle with that is that we don't live out lifestyles of thankfulness. We need to be intentional about having those lifestyles because scripture says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that we have to be thankful for all circumstances, but it says that we can be thankful in all circumstances. That's an important differentiation there, that, that we need to be thankful in all circumstances. We don't have to be thankful for the pain, but we can be thankful that there is potential in that pain. We don't have to be thankful for loss, but we can be thankful that there are lessons to be learned in those losses. A lifestyle of thankfulness is what we are called to. So let's be people who live that out. Live that out. And then it says this. It says, praising God in a loud voice. Loud and proud. We aren't meant to be quiet. But this is one of the things that I think is vital for us as the church moving forward, is that our opinions should stay quiet, but our praises should be loud. I want to say that again. Our opinions should be quiet, but our praises should be loud. Too often, we let our opinions be loud and we let our praises be quiet. We let our opinions of other people and other people's lifestyles. We let our opinions of the church. We let our opinions of other people in our lives, of our friends, of our family. We let those be the loud things that people hear. We let those be the things that we talk to God about. Oh God, why are you letting them do that? And on and on and on it goes where our opinions get loud and our praises stay silent where we need to praise God and we need to make sure that those are the loudest things in our lives and we would keep our opinions quiet and we would just let people see the lifestyle of thankfulness that we're living towards our Savior and they would see it and they would be attracted to it and they say, wow, you are so thankful and so, so honorable in your relationship with Jesus. What makes you want to be that way? And we invite them in to meet our Savior because we have a ton to be thankful for. We have a ton to praise God about. So let our praises be loud and our opinions stay quiet. And then the last few verses of this section, verses 17 through 19, says, Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Important word, foreigner. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The author Luke is, is writing to a Greek audience. So this statement about being a foreigner is important for two reasons. Number one, he is making sure that the people that he was writing to, number one, uh, Theophilus, who is this person that he is writing this account of Jesus to, Luke didn't spend time with Jesus. He spent time with eyewitnesses of Jesus. Luke was a doctor and an author and a historian. So, so Luke was going and gathering information for people, from people who experienced Jesus. But he wanted to make sure that the Greek audience that he was writing to understood that the person who came back and praised Jesus and who was healed 
was Greek, was a Samaritan, was a foreigner. He was just like them. He was non-Jewish. And it was so important for Luke to, to make sure that the audience knew that. This was crucial because like we talked about at the front end, religious tensions arose on a daily basis because religion from the beginning of time has been exclusive while Jesus changed the game because he was inclusive. This wasn't for one specific set of people. This was for all people. And Luke was communicating that message very clearly that Jesus was and is inclusive. And secondly, scholars believe that the other nine men that were healed were Jewish. So that brings us to the final point. Avoid a spirit of entitlement. Avoid a spirit of entitlement. Ten men were healed, but nine of them were quick to get on with their lives. One man came back to make sure that he praised his Savior. You see, the Jewish men were the chosen ones. They were waiting for what was owed to them. The Samaritan man was blown away by the goodness of God. So for us, those of us who follow Jesus, we have to make sure that we aren't waiting around for what is quote-unquote owed to us because if we're honest with ourselves, what we deserve is eternity separated from God. What we deserve is hell. But, we, but we, what we have been given is grace and forgiveness, the absolute biggest miracle that has ever been performed is the fact that Jesus would be willing to forgive and die for people like you and I. So we need to make sure that we do not have a spirit of entitlement. There have been too many times in my lives where I've looked at people who just started following Jesus after I've been following Jesus for my entire life and my requests seem to be going unanswered and somebody who's been following Jesus for what seems like a minute has a prayer answered or has something happen on their behalf and instead of being happy for what Jesus is doing in their life, I start to get jealous and I start to get angry because what about me? What about my request? See, that's a spirit of entitlement. I am not owed anything. I have not earned anything, but I have been given everything. So we need to make sure that we get away from that spirit of entitlement and live a lifestyle of thankfulness. So let's be a people who are constantly blown away by the goodness of God, who live that lifestyle of thanksgiving. And let's be people who are thankful that we serve a God of process, a God that heals, a God that restores, and a God that does all of those things as we go. Thanks for tuning back into the College Age Movement podcast. As always, if you're in Billings, we would love to see you you here on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock at Faith Chapel. If you can't make it on Tuesday nights, we hope that you still benefit from this podcast. We love you all, and we hope to see you very soon.